Chapter Ten, Part Three of Equanimitas by Sir William Osler. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. British Medicine in Greater Britain. In certain aspects, the Australasian settlements presented the most interesting problems of Greater Britain. More homogeneous, thoroughly British, isolated, distant, they must work out their destiny with a less stringent environment than, for example, surrounds the English in Canada. The traditions are more uniform and of whatever character have filtered through British channels. The professional population of native trained men is as yet small, and the proportion of graduates and licentiates from the English, Scotch, and Irish colleges and boards guarantees a dominance of old country ideas. What the maturity will show cannot be predicted, but the vigorous infancy is full of crescent promise. On looking over the files of Australian and New Zealand journals, one is impressed with the monotonous similarity of the diseases in the antipodes to those of great britain and of this continent except in the matter of parasitic affections and snake bites the nosology presents few distinctive qualities the proceedings of the four intercolonial congresses indicate a high level of professional thought in two points australia has not progressed as other parts of greater britain the satisfactory regulation of practice so early settled in Canada, has been beset with many difficulties. Both in the United States and in Australia, the absence of the military element, which was so strong in Canada, may in part at least account for the great difference which has prevailed in this matter of the state license. The other relates to the question of ethics, to which one really does not care to refer were it not absolutely forced upon the attention in reading the journals. Elsewhere professional squabbles, always so unseemly and distressing, are happily becoming very rare, and in Great Britain, and on this side of the water, we try at any rate to wash our dirty linen at home. In the large Australian cities, differences and dissensions seem lamentably common. Surely they must be fomented by the atrocious system of elections to the hospital, which plunges the entire profession every third or fourth year into the throes of a contest, in which the candidates have to solicit the suffrages of from 2,000 to 4,000 voters. Well, indeed, might Dr. Batchelor say in his address at the Fourth Intercolonial Congress, it is a scandal that in any British community, much less in a community which takes pride in a progressive spirit, such a pernicious system should survive for an hour. Of India, of Vishnu land, what can one say in a few minutes? Three thoughts at once claim recognition. Here, in the dim dawn of history, with the great Aryan people, was the intellectual cradle of the world. To the Hindus we owe a debt which we can at any rate acknowledge, and even in medicine many of our traditions and practices 
may be traced to them, as may be gathered from that most interesting history of Aryan medical science, by Thakur Saheb of Gondol. Quickly there arises the memory of the men who have done so much for British medicine in that great empire. Far from their homes, far from congenial surroundings, and far from the stimulus of scientific influences, Ainsley, Ballingall, Twinning, Moorhead, Waring, Parks, Cunningham, Lewis, Van Dyke Carter, and many others have upheld the traditions of Harvey and of Sydenham. On the great epidemic diseases, how impoverished would our literature be in the absence of their contributions? But then there comes the thought of the petty done, the undone vast. When one considers the remarkable opportunities for study which India has presented, where else in the world is there such a field for observation in cholera, leprosy, dysentery, the plague, typhoid fever, malaria, and in a host of other less important maladies? And what has the British government done towards the scientific investigation of the diseases of India? Until recently, little or nothing, and the proposal to found an institute for the scientific study of disease has actually come from the native chiefs. The work of Dr. Hankin and of Professor Hafkeen, and the not unmixed evil of the brisk epidemic of plague in Bombay, may arouse the officials to a consciousness of their shortcomings. While sanitary progress has been great, as shown in a reduction of the mortality from 69 per mil before 1857 to 15 per mil at present, many problems are still urgent, as may be gathered from reading Dr. Harvey's presidential address and the proceedings of the Indian Medical Congress that typhoid fever could be called the scourge of India, and that the incidence of the disease should remain so high among the troops, point to serious sanitary defects as yet unremedied. As to the prevalence of venereal disease among the soldiers, an admission of nearly 500 per mil tells its own tale. On reading the journals and discussions, one gets the impression that matters are not as they should be in India. There seems to be an absence of proper standards of authority. Had there been in each presidency during the past twenty years thoroughly equipped government laboratories in charge of able men, well trained in modern methods, the contributions to our knowledge of epidemic diseases might have been epoch-making, and at any rate we should have been spared the crudeness which is evident in the work, particularly in that upon malaria, of some zealous but badly trained men. In estimating the progress of medicine in the countries comprising Greater Britain, the future, rather than the present, should be in our minds. The strides which have been taken during the past twenty years are a strong warrant that we have entered upon a period of exceptional development. When I see what has been accomplished in this city in the short space of time since I left, I can scarcely credit my eyes. The reality exceeds 
the utmost desire of my dreams the awakening of the profession in the united states to a consciousness of its responsibilities and opportunities has caused unparalleled changes which have given an impetus to medical education and to higher lines of medical work which has already borne a rich harvest within two hundred years who can say where the intellectual centre of the anglo-saxon race will be the mother country herself has only become an intellectual nation of the first rank within a period altogether too short to justify a prediction that she has reached the zenith she will probably reverse the history of hellas in which the mental superiority was at first with the colonies at the end of the twentieth century ardent old-world students may come to this side as over a brook seeking inspiration from great masters perhaps in this very city or the current may turn towards the schools of the great nations of the south under new and previously unknown conditions the africander the australian or the new zealander may reach a development before which even the glory that was greece may pale visionary as this may appear it is not one whit more improbable to-day than would have been a prophecy made in seventeen ninety seven that such a gathering as the present would be possible within a century on the banks of the st lawrence meanwhile to the throbbing vitality of modern medicine the two great meetings held this month in lands so widely distant bear eloquent testimony free cosmopolitan no longer hampered by the dogmas of schools we may feel a just pride in a profession almost totally emancipated from the bondage of error and prejudice distinctions of race nationality colour and creed are unknown within the portals of the temple of esculapius dare we dream that this harmony and cohesion so rapidly developing in medicine obliterating the strongest lines of division knowing no tie of loyalty but loyalty to truth dare we hope i say that in the wider range of human affairs a similar solidarity may ultimately be reached who can say that the forges of time will weld no links between man and man stronger than those of religion or of country some son of Bayor, touched with prophetic vision piercing the clouds which now veil the eternal sunshine of the mountain top some spectator of all time and all existence to use plato's expression might see in this gathering of men of one blood and one tongue a gleam of hope for the future of hope at least that the great race so dominant on the earth today may progress in the bonds of peace a faint glimmer perhaps of the larger hope of humanity of that day when the common sense of most shall hold a fretful world in awe there remains for us greater britons of whatsoever land the bounden duty to cherish the best traditions of our fathers and particularly of the men 
who gave to British medicine its most distinctive features, of the men, too, who found for us the light and liberty of Greek thought, Lineker, Harvey, and Sydenham, those ancient founts of inspiration and models for all time in literature, science, and practice. End of chapter 10 British Medicine in Greater Britain Recording by Luke Sartor, Griffith, New South Wales